Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Naked With Podcast. Welcome to any new listeners. The Naked With Podcast is a podcast where we dive into the journeys of our guests, talking about what they're passionate about and what their purpose is in life. And a bit of a hope there is that it might inspire, educate, or even just entertain our listeners in that space. Joining me today, as always, co-host Sam Mike's Mate, how's, how's retirement life going at the moment? I know it's been a Almost a month now. I started a new job on Monday uh, in recruitment at uh, Connexus Recruitment there. I thought I was going to get fired on day one because I deleted all the files he sent me, um, learning how to use a computer. And yeah, big week. Back's pretty stiff from looking at the computer and stuff like that, but it's going all right. I spoke plenty of learning there, no doubt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but look, joining us today, very excited to be getting our first female guest on, actually. She's an ambassador for our Naked You Apparel brand. She is one of the most respected players in the women's NRL and just all around good human. So we're very grateful to get her on today. Corbin McGregor. Oh, wait, hold on. Still getting used to that. Still getting getting used used to it. Don't worry. Let me repeat that. I'll start that again. Uh, So today, introducing Corbin Baxter. How are you going? <laughs> hey, okay, I'm well, thanks. Hey, boys, thanks for having me on. It's, yeah, I'm still getting used to the Baxter too. <laughs> so don't worry about that. Just on that, sorry, I can interrupt. Was there ever a thought of you not changing your last name and telling Baxter to change his last name to McGregor? <laughs> um, to be honest, I, I was always keen to, to get it changed. Um, if anything, Matt was well, the one trying to, you know, encourage me to keep it for, for my footy stuff, but I'm an all in or nothing kind of girl, so. It was um, a full changeover to Baxter for me. <laughs> oh, nice. There we go. There you go, boys. We answered that one early. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Firstly, before we get into things, congratulations on the wedding, the big day, and we're very honoured to join you to celebrate that. Um, I can't talk too much about the later end of the night. I was a bit under the weather, <laughs> especially the next day, but that's a conversation for another time. Um, but yeah, beautiful day and obviously you get to see your family and your friends celebrating that. How was the day? Talk us through it and, and how is married life going? Thanks, mate. Yeah, it was it was the best day. We um we had so much fun. It um, obviously with COVID, it pushed it back an extra year, but um, you know, we made the most of it. It gave us some time to to plan it a bit more and the preparations were a lot more stress-free we had that extra year but we're so lucky looking back with the timing of it you know with everything going on right now um, it just was perfect it was perfect weather perfect timing we had all of our you know loved ones there we were able to dance night away and yeah it was a dream come true for both of us we we absolutely loved it and talk about it all the time and wish we could go back but um yeah great day yeah it was awesome um, just like we do with all our guests, just to start off with, if you want to just share a bit about your upbringing, uh, your journey and, and your family. Yeah, so I was born in Auckland, New Zealand. Then we moved to um, Brisbane when I was three years old. We lived there for under a year. I think it was like eight months or something. And then we moved to Sydney. So I've lived in you know, the Cronulla, Sutherland Shire area since I was you know, three, four years old. Really amazing upbringing, an awesome family. I have four brothers. And, you know, they've been great. They've sort of helped shape who I am. You know, my, my parents have been really supportive and have always believed in me. And, um, you know, obviously being a sports person, that's been a big part of my life, my whole life. And um, they've got a big part to do with that. You know, they've, you know, taken me to all my sports tournaments and trainings and just, you know, having four brothers as well who are also very sporty. They've just always made time for all of us to, to do whatever it is that we want to do. And, yeah, we're extremely lucky to have you know such an amazing childhood where we yeah we're just blessed with you know whatever we wanted to do so really great upbringing and you know they instilled some great values in all of us awesome and uh, I got to see I guess part of that firsthand at the wedding Uh, someone was cutting onions just with some of the speeches and how much love there was amongst you and, and the family but yeah growing up four brothers you know, I've got a sister as well. And, you know, sometimes we can be quite protective. How are your brothers with you growing up? <laughs> They're pretty good. We, we get along really well, um, but we've got like, we've got an interesting relationship. We, we're, we're close, but we sort of know not to step on each other's toes. We um, just have a really nice balanced relationship and it's been, it's been really good. Obviously, everyone always says to me, oh, your brothers, they must be super protective. I've got three older and one younger, but 
I think they are in their own way, but they're not too full on. And um, I really appreciate that. And yeah, it just works. We all get along really well and we, we have fun together when we're together, but you know, we, we're not always on top of each other and, you know, annoying each other. We um, have a really good relationship. I want to get this one out of the way. So I believe your brothers, they're all rugby players, are they? Rugby union? Mainly, yeah. I guess for myself and Waxy, we're big rugby union fans as well. Yeah. Obviously, Waxy played at a professional level. But who do you follow? Do you, are you a Wallaby or are you an Albert? <laughs> Waxy would know this question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. I was over at house. We watched the game. Yeah, Waxy ah. came over for a barbie and we were watching the um, Wallabies. All Blacks game and there was a lot of uh, Wallabies jerseys going around and I wasn't quite happy about it. <laughs> so <laughs> I went in and pulled out my, my All Blacks jersey and I wore it loud and proud. <laughs> I'm an All Blacks girl when it comes to uh, That was that Auckland test as well. I think they got flogged. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I came in full kit. Uh, <laughs> it's disappointing to hear that. Obviously, do you, are there mixed emotions then when you have to uh, sing the Aussie anthem? <laughs> it's sort of been ingrained into me. You know, my dad is diehard All Blacks. He's got the tats. He's got the frame jerseys. He's got everything. So it's just sort of been ingrained into my soul from a young age. But in saying that, my brother's... They all, especially my brother just above me, Jordan, he, you know, he's probably gone the furthest in rugby union in, in the family. And um, he was in sort of the Waratahs squad at one point. And it, it's hard because obviously I play for Australia. I, I love <laughs> Australia. I was I grew, grew up here, but it's just something with the union. It's just been ingrained into me that I'm an all black. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> You have managed to represent both countries, Australia and New Zealand, and we'll dive into that as we go on. But I just want to come back a little bit into your upbringing again uh, and growing up. I know that you became a mum at quite a young age, 16, I think it was. Yeah. And just wanted to dive into that experience and, and how you managed that at such a young age. And, you know, was that a difficult conversation to have with your family? Just talk us through that experience. Yeah, for sure. So I fell pregnant when I was 16 and had Carter when I was 16 years old as well. It was crazy. I think, you know, being such a sporty kid, um, very good girl. It wasn't, you know, expected of me. It was a bit of a surprise to a lot of people, myself included. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it without my parents. Initially, it was a, it was a tough conversation and a, a really scary time, especially for my mum, being such a young girl. But it was just literally that one initial conversation where I think she was just, you know, worried just like any mother would be for me. But after that conversation, it was all positive. My dad was amazing. Both of them were extremely supportive. And I just remember my dad giving me like the best advice of like, you know, time flies. You'll be thinking, you know, 10 years down the track, what a blessing your child will be. And, you know, I'm at that point now and I think about it every day. And I'm just so lucky to have, you know, such amazing parents who, in such a crazy time have always had my back and have always supported me through everything you know usually at sport or whatever and you know having ambitions to you know go further in my sporting career and then becoming pregnant I remember my dad you know saying you've got so much time you're so young you can do this and um, you know that just stuck with me and looking back I'm so grateful for you know those conversations and the positivity and belief that he you know instilled in me so um, yeah it, it was really challenging and tough but having their support and having a really great partner who was supportive and his family were amazing too made it um, so much easier and just enjoyable like I enjoyed the whole process and you know Carter's the biggest blessing in my life and I couldn't imagine life without him so it's you know the best thing that's ever happened to me really. Did you um who did you tell first? Funny story I was actually in a um camp for touch football it was the CHS um camp and I was the shadow player and I must have been Googling online, you know, stuff about it because, yeah, girl stuff. And my mum doesn't even know how to use a computer, but she somehow saw in my history what I was looking up and gave me a call while I was in camp and was like, what have you been looking up? So I didn't even get the chance to tell her. She found out. Um, and oh, so that was scary. I was stressful. I was in camp. I was 16, really excited about this, but nervous about being pregnant. And it was just intense. I um, immediately called Clay, my partner at the time, Carter's dad, and let him know he was really, really supportive. That was the initial conversation that I spoke about when my mom was freaked out, which is understandable. 
Um, but then spoke to her very soon after. She said, get through camp and we'll deal with it after. And it sort of just went from there. <laughs> Jeez, most teenage boys know how to delete their uh, history. But anyway, um, so, so your partner, how, how did you tell him and how did he take the news? Was he ready or was he shitting himself? Or Yeah, he, I, I literally told him over the phone. Um, it was pretty soon after I had the conversation with mum. I was keeping it to myself because I just really didn't know at the time. And the conversation was that I, I thought that I possibly could be pregnant. Um, and then after camp, we all sort of got together and it was confirmed that I was. And he took it really well. Even that first phone call when I told him it was only a possibility, there wasn't much you know, he could do. I wasn't with him um, physically, but he was you know, as supportive as he could be over the phone, I guess. But he actually, looking back, he handled it all really, really well and was super supportive as well. Yeah. yeah, crazy times, crazy times. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you just gotta yeah. make the best out of situations, I guess. Wouldn't recommend it to everyone, but um, for me, you know, it happened, it worked, and I'm happy. Yeah, I think it just highlights your resilience, and you know, it's a key message that we sort of try and share is that you know, sometimes your biggest struggles and challenges can actually become your biggest success. It obviously takes work to get there, but you know, I've growing up with me, my my mum, because my dad was in jail when um, my mum was pregnant and sort of when she had me, I was actually adopted by my grandma. So I grew up with my grandma and then when she passed away, I moved in with Waxy and his family. Um, but just, we're all parents, the three of us. So, you know, the thought of having your child and then thinking that the best decision is to let that child grow up with someone else. It would have been a massive call for my mum at the time, I think, looking back at that now. But I guess for you, did you ever feel like that was a possibility or an option or, or were you confident that because you had such a supportive family, you could just, you know, do it all together? I, I was very confident with, you know, the support around me that I could do it. it. It didn't really cross my mind. And, you know, my parents, obviously, if that was, if I went to them asking about that, they would have, you know, spoken to me about it, but it just didn't cross my mind. I don't know how to explain it, but it just, um, the thought of, you know, not having a child wasn't, wasn't the answer for me. And they were very, very supportive with that decision too. Yeah, nice. Um, you must've been very proud at your wedding to see him lead the family in the haka. I was. Um, he smashed it, absolutely killed it. <laughs> for you, how, how important is culture in your family? Obviously being married, living in Australia. Yeah. Is that something that you're going to want to make sure Carter's brought up understanding and embracing? Yeah, definitely. You know, growing up, I didn't really grow up learning a lot about my Māori heritage. My mum, my mum's Māori, my dad's um, white New Zealander, but she didn't really grow up when she was younger either learning about it. I don't think they taught it at school and, you know, much at all around, you know, her time. So... I don't know a whole lot about it. I'm learning as I get older, and I think rugby leagues had a, had a big part to do with that. Um, as you spoke about being part of the Maori side, I use that as an opportunity to, you know, grow that passion and desire to learn more. And it's been a really good journey. Last year, um, 2020 was the first time they made the Maori side, and we had a camp over in New Zealand, and we we slept in the Marae, and you know, we, I got to live that, you know, true Maori lifestyle and it was amazing and it really took me back to my roots and you know I've had a taste over that over you know my upbringing my mum and dad would take me back to New Zealand with my family and would visit family that still live you know in Madai's and things like that and um, I got a taste of it but it was not a lot of the time so it was just nice you know doing that as an older adult as well and um, yeah really diving into my culture and it's tough because I've lived in Australia for so long I've been very Aussie-fied <laughs> um, which I'm proud of as well I'm proud to be an Aussie and I'm proud to be a Māori. They both sort of define who I am. And yeah, I, I've learned a lot and I've wanted to learn more as I've gotten older, which is really cool. Going into the Māori camp this year, I was honoured to be the captain and that was a little bit of a freak out moment for me because I, I sort of felt a little bit guilty that, you know, I didn't deserve it. I felt like a, a plastic, you know, <laughs> sort of Māori that didn't know enough, but um. We had a really good cultural advisor, his name's Lenny, and he just instilled that belief in all of us, not just me, but, you know, that if you're mouldy, you're mouldy. That's, it's sort of black and white like that. It's not, you know, you're only part or you're half, or if you don't know how to speak fluent mouldy, um, then you're not a true mouldy either. So he really gave me the confidence to back myself and to make the most of that opportunity, which was awesome. And, and the team was great too. 
and then um, bringing that back to my family. I think my brothers are the same. We're all, you know, we've all sort of lost that connection with with our roots. And I think in a way that inspired them to, you know, want to engage a little bit more. My brother, one of my brothers got married two years ago and he didn't even want to huck her at his wedding, which I thought was crazy. And then at my wedding this year, he led it with my son, um, which like I think is pretty cool. Um, and then talking about Cardi as well, it was the best to see him, you know, dive into that and learn it and, and lead the huck around. on our wedding day. Um, that was super special. And I only want him to want to learn more. And um, I'm going to have a big part to do with that too, obviously. And that's definitely what I see um, for him to, to be able to be proud of being a Maori and an Aussie. Um, uh, I relate a lot to what you're saying because I'm half Tongan, half Aussie. And I guess sport brought me back to, you know, getting to my Tongan side because obviously a lot of uh, Tongans play play sport, play footy. And um, I don't think I would have been as connected as I would be to my Tongan side if I didn't play sport. And I felt like the same thing of being half. I was like, oh, am I plastic because I couldn't speak it? I remember going on this Pacific Island talk show and that they were talking about that, like um, maybe representing Tonga as well. The, the biggest fear I think I had like um, of going into playing for Tonga was leave, uh, doing the haka. I think I was, I was so, if I, if it was to ever happen, that was all I could think about was like, oh, I don't know if I could do the, the sippy doll. Um, yeah. I, I was worried about, yeah, just, you know, this sort of white, white fella <laughs> just stand at the background. Like I was picturing, it never happened, but I was just picturing in my head like, oh man, the boys are going to give it to me for doing that. <laughs> and so you're almost thinking about it more than the game, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, Oh, that was all playing through my head. If like if I if there was any other opportunity to play for Tonga, um, I don't know. It was that's all I was thinking about. But so you felt comfortable leading the haka? Do you practice it during the week, or how does it all work? Yeah, a lot of work goes into it. So the first year was just mind blown. I was hiding up the back, just trying to get everything down pat. I, I learned it all, and I was happy with being in the back row, and I knew I could nail that. And then this year, the reason. Um, I mean, maybe not the reason, but the the Kiwi girls, because of COVID, weren't able to play. So we didn't have our New Zealand-based girls. So the Aussie-based girls really had to step up and myself being one of those. So one, doing the huck in the back row, that was scary. But then having to be at the front, helping lead the thing was a whole nother level. But um, I'm someone who, you know, sometimes opportunities like this, I feel just like fall in my lap and I get very nervous about it. But I, I feel like I'm someone who, you know, even if I'm not, fully confident I'll just back myself I'll say yes and I'll give it my best um and then on top of that I'm just lucky to have good people that you know have faith in you to get it done too so scary stuff but I'm so 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 glad that you know I just backed myself and went for it because it was a great experience that's awesome well you you guys are talking about you know feeling plastic I'm full Tongan and I can't talk Tongan and you no know, <laughs> I went to a um, trip to Tonga in 2018 with this academy, Siones Academy, it's called. And because I was full Tongan, everyone's like, oh, what did that guy say? Because all the Tongans, and then all the Tongans would come up to me and obviously I, I look very Tongan. So they're just full talking to me in Tongan. I'm just like, <laughs> just smile and nodding my head. Um, and it actually made me, I was just like, I really struggled to be honest. Like, Yeah, it's probably, hard to not feel guilty because you're yeah. like, it sort of motivates you to want to learn more in a way. Yeah, it does. Well, I, when I was in Japan, there's a lot of Tongans um, Islanders, they go over straight from, you know, high school or, and, and go to university over there. And Tongans pick up Japanese really easy, uh, very similar vowels and, and stuff like that. And then there was times where I had to speak Japanese to a Tongan person, like my Japanese is better than <laughs> Tongan so like <laughs> so but then, then it'll be crack up you'd see like a, a you know Tongan Samoan Fijian all speaking Japanese like because they can't speak English so I was just like well man this is this is a spin out I'm, I have that's to so join this conversation so yeah geez we've got some we've got some plastic people here at the moment nah Please. it's all we're learning we're gonna learn we're learning, guys. We're learning. Absolutely. And same as you with Carter, you know, for Eliana, I really want to make sure she's trying to, you know, understand the culture and learn it. So when my mum comes to visit, she always speaks to her in Tongan. Um, so she's starting to pick up on a few things. But you, you did mention, so you had to get up front, lead the hucker and, and you stepped up and were able to do that. I know you've, you've had to captain, uh, you have the opportunity to captain a lot of the teams that you play for. I'm really curious from a leadership perspective, what's your approach in terms of captaincy and leadership? Do you feel pressure there and um, how do you approach it? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I I never 
thought of myself as a natural leader. I think one year, Captain C sort of fell into my lap. And as I spoke about before, I just said yes, and I rolled with it. And it's sort of just gone from there. And when you do that, I think opportunities just keep coming. And yeah, you know, I, I don't see myself as, you know, naturally, you know, a good decision maker and, you know, not bossing people around and being vocal, not that's very stereotypical traits of a leader. I don't think they're bossy, but, you know, when you think of a leader, it's someone who can really stand up and be courageous and, you know, get the job done. Um, naturally, I, I'm more of a doer and I just like to sort of follow instructions and do what's needed of me. So it's it's been a challenge. I have enjoyed it though, and I'm just finding my own flavour. And, you know, I definitely don't think I need to change you know, my, my personality or my nature to, to be a leader. And I'm still just discovering what that looks like for me. Um, I've been lucky enough to, you know, captain my local side for Cronulla and then at NRLW level with the Roosters, um, which has been, you know, really great experience. But it's sort of just finding what works for me. Um, it's tough because I find it can sort of change dynamics with, you know, your relationships with girls a little bit. Not, not in a way that's on purpose. It just sort of like, I think when someone becomes a captain, people sort of change, you know, how they interact with you a little bit, which that's the one part I, I don't like. And I try to be a leader that's pretty, not laid back, but, you know, just pretty calm and relatable and, you know, open so that girls feel like they can be vulnerable and, and come chat to me too. And I'm just like a teammate rather than a captain. I think that's how I approach it. I just still try not to change too much, still be part of the team and yeah, that's sort of my flavour. Does the coaches come up to you and ask you, do you want to be captain or do they announce it in front of a team or, or is it like a player vote? Like how's, how have they sort of come about? The coach usually comes up um, and lets you know prior to announcing it to the team. That's how it usually Does it give works. you time to sort of say, do you want to do it? Or you say, you're doing it and we're going to announce it or is it like... No, yeah, it's more like it asking you. So just okay. let me know, this is what I'm looking for. This is what <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm thinking. It's usually a captain and a vice captain and they'll pull you over and have a chat to you and... Obviously, you don't want to do it, but you don't see much of that. Girls are usually pretty willing to take those roles on. But yeah, it's not a, a forceful thing like your captain. Get ready. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a good little process. So what do you think that is in terms of, uh, like, do you feel like you get that responsibility? Do you just feel like it's the way you've played and, and it's more action and there's something about you that they like? Or do you reckon... They, they know a little bit about you beforehand going into it, knowing that, say, like you're going back to you being a young mum and the way you've dealt with everything, they feel like, yeah, this is sort of leadership material. Yeah. Do you I reckon think that's the case? Yeah, probably more so now. Um, it's It goes on experience. My first captaincy was with the Sharks and I'd been playing for, you know, four, three or four years by then. So I still was a sort of experienced player at that point or the most sort of experienced in my team at that point. Um, I think from there, it sort of just came with my actions. I trained hard. I didn't really miss any training sessions. I was a good teammate. I knew a lot, all the girls and I had a good relationship with all of them. So I think that's sort of how I originally got it. And then being captain there for a couple of years, we were a pretty successful team. We was, you know, making the top three or four. Um, and then when, you know, NRLW came about, I've been there from the start. I'd, I'd been lucky enough to play in the Australian Jillaroos and New South Wales. So I just had a bit of experience and um, I guess they thought I had a bit of a, a decent head on my shoulder. So I think it's a mixture of, you know, hardworking and reliable and, and some experience. So speaking of your hard work and the training, how, how did you juggle that with Carter, I guess, when you were on your pursuit to uh, where you are now? Yeah, it's, it's a balancing act. It's probably the number one most challenging thing. I can definitely um get overwhelmed sometimes but just comes back to really good support you know you're trying to work full-time train with your teams you know two three times a week train on your own every single day some of us are mums so it's, it's a lot to fit into one day I just bring it all back to support if I didn't have you know my mum and Matt and Clay to help support and look after Carter while I go train or I'm um, taking this to take Carter to his games because it's you know a time clash with my game I wouldn't be able to do it so yeah it, it's tough and it's it's definitely a balancing act but I love it I make it work and I know it's just and not even just I know my family make it very clear and um, support me and and we all understand that you know it's only a short amount of time where I can you know make the most of these opportunities so they're willing to help sacrifice as well it's a good message because I know 
like growing up, some of the boys and, and some of the people that I've seen who had kids pretty young just say, I can't do it because they have to, they have to put food on the table yeah. and there's just no way around it. And just seeing them, like some of the talent that just, yeah, just couldn't go on with it because they had kids young and then try and do it a bit later when the kids get a bit older, but then realise, I can't do this for, uh, say, 20 grand a year. Like, it's just way too hard. So how does that work with the uh, women's game, like in terms of financial backing or whatever? Like, or do, you, do all the girls have to work to make it work or, or not? Yeah, so I'd say 95% of the girls are all working full time. It's it's just, it's hard. We, we In our camps and stuff, we talk about a lot and, you know, the girls play for the love of it. If we weren't getting paid, to be honest, I think everyone would still be playing. It's it's what we're used to. It's it's how sport or most things have been for, for women. And I think we're used to it. It's definitely getting better and we're getting, you know, better recognised and paid and, a little bit better still a long way to go but it's just a sacrifice I think that girls are willing to make to, to play the sport that they love and you know if that means taking time off work to go to camps to go to tournaments and you know trying to find someone to help with their kids then they'll just make it work because it, it's tough but we're used to it and we love it yeah nice I know you're um as I said you're one of the most well-respected players in the game I mean every time I see a a poster from the NRLW, it's got your face on it. Everyone's so, sick of seeing my head. <laughs> but I think it's a credit to um, everything that you're doing for the game. As, as I said, you're a big advocate for growing the women's game. Um, and it's really good to see some of the changes that are coming. Uh, I know it's probably not at a place where you want to see it yet, but, you know, just small things like the game getting put up to 70 minutes, you know, growing from four teams to six this season. I guess for you, where do you hope to see the game? And what are the steps that you'd like to see happen for that to be achieved? Yeah, obviously the game needs to grow at a rate that's sustainable. We don't just want to, you know, throw a full competition and, and the quality be no good and it's not a success. So my hopes is that it becomes that, a full competition and girls can, you know, play rugby league as their career. They can make a living out of it. Pretty much just like the men, they're training full time and playing professionally. That'll happen probably when I'm well retired. But we're getting there and it has to be done sustainably. And the NRL have been awesome. They've, we've started really strong. We've had, you know, the first three years with four teams, a really strong competition. This year, they've, as you spoke about, they've added two teams and, you know, increased the games. And I just think every year it's going to get better. But yeah, it needs to be done smart and in a way that's, you know, going to be sustainable. And, you know, we're not getting big blowouts with games and, and things like that. It's still really quality footy. And we've seen that. And I just think we keep going the way we're going. It's going to be good. But yeah, hopefully in the next 10 years, we can have, you know, 16 teams plus that have rosters fully contracted girls and they're playing footy full time. That would be my biggest dream for women's rugby league. From a quality point of view, where do you think it needs to get to to sort of be on par with the men at the moment? Where do you see is its biggest sort of deficiency on the field? Yeah, it, it's tough because we don't train full time and we get really good feedback that the quality is great. I think that if we're training full time, you know, there's obviously, you know, kicking and skill execution with, you know, plenty of things over the field. We're not technically as good as the boys, but we're not training as much as them. Um, I think you can see it in, in the rugby sevens, you know, the girls and the boys are training full time and the girls are guns, they're killing it. And it's such a great product to watch. And I sort of always compare it to that. Imagine we got that same sort of training and, and um, under our belt, we could, we could put on, you know, even better quality footy. So lots of aspects of the game where obviously the men are the physically stronger, everything like that, that's not going to change the men where we're men. But, you know, the feedback's been that it, the skills of the girls are quality and I just think that it could be 10 times better if we're training full time. Are there any strong business women out there that, are, uh, that put money into the game or anything like that? Because I know there's a, I can't remember her name actually, but she's from Build Corp. She throws a lot of money at the Super W to help that grow. Do, do you guys have that same like figurehead uh, in the women's game? Or do you just solely rely on the NRL just saying, yeah, you just got to sort of wait until we, we pick this no, thing we up? No, we have some... some um really strong advocates of the game through um, the, our sponsors. So Telstra is a big one. Telstra, a huge support. And Harvey Norman, they're probably our two main. So they've been supporting the game for a long time and the women's game since, you know, the NRLW started and Harvey Norman even before that. So, yeah, 
we're lucky to have them supporting us and making sure that we have a competition. There was, you know, not rumours, but we were told maybe last year that the competition wasn't going to go ahead and somehow we pulled through with support of, you know, the sponsors and the NRL and same as this year, we are supposed to be starting in a couple of weeks, but we're not sure what's happening with the comp yet, but we might get pushed back, but we're just, yeah, we're lucky that we have sponsors still backing us and the NRL is still invested in us too to make sure that we have a competition to play this year. Yeah, no, see, I just find it, as I said to you before, like, I just find it weird that a lot of, I find a lot of women's sports have big grassroots followings, like from netball, rugby union, like, they don't yeah. have a professional platform, or it's still semi-professional, but it's so big at the grassroots, but yet they haven't thrown money at it to just say, hey, we're just going to pull trigger and go, so yeah, I just find it interesting that it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. I know you said, you know, some deficiencies versus the men's game, but... I'm a big fan of watching the women's game and I can see some of the physicality in the game has, has increased. I mean, I wouldn't be running at Hannah Southwell anytime soon. She's just <laughs> flipping people left, right and centre. But it's good to see her representation in the RLPA as well for, for the girls. And I think that will be great for the playing group as well. But I'm um, really curious in terms of the quality of the game, how was it with some of the Aussie Sevens rugby girls coming in to join the competition and, and was anyone who stood out for you? Yeah, it, it was really cool. I, I'm a big fan of Charlotte Kaslik and to have her playing with the Chookies was amazing. It was um, something that I'll remember forever and hopefully we can get her back. Maybe not this year with the Olympics, but in the future. I thought she she was awesome and she she learned heaps in a small amount of time and, you know, was able to, to pick the game up pretty well. And, you know, she only played two games because she got injured in the third. But, yeah, I think she showed that she's just a phenomenal phenomenal athlete. Also, Vani Polite, she's, I think she's awesome. She played with the Warriors and so did Elia Green. And they had a massive impact and were real threats on the field and, a, yeah, massive asset to, to the Warriors side too. So I think they all just picked it up really well and they shone. We also had Grace Hamilton, who's a 15s union player. And yeah, they all just, you know, switched codes, picked it up really quickly. And yeah, hopefully we get them back playing with us soon. I've heard some whispers that, you know, there might be a few more after the Olympics that might give it a crack too. But um, yeah, anything that can, you know, add to the quality of the game, I'm all for. Why don't you cross over <laughs> instead of uh, crossing back? Get them crossing back. I'm a league girl through and through. <laughs> the prospect of maybe playing in the Olympics has it crossed your mind to sort of maybe make the switch or you just die hard I played a, a little bit of sevens back when I first started playing league and it was fun it was bloody tiring but it was fun and I think being a young mum and the way that the sevens format sort of works at that elite level of traveling and stuff that would have been amazing but I just don't think it suited my lifestyle and yeah just being away so much from family Again, a sacrifice, but just one that was a bit too big for me. Everyone's got a price. I'll let you know. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting old. I'm on the way out. <laughs> nah, you're 26. You still got oceans of time. <laughs> Are you 26? Cool. Yeah, I'm guess. 27. I've tried to keep five. Oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll take 27. Old girl. Oh, that's funny. So, um, <laughs> Got a few more questions and then we've got some listener questions. What what are your hopes for, for Carter in terms of, you know, he's quite sporty. Is it a sport avenue that you want him to, you know, keep exploring? Is he interested in other things? My hopes for him, I think he's, same as me, he's a very, you know, sporty kid. He loves everything about sport. He loves school and, and stuff too. Tries his best to apply himself, but it's early days. But I think, you know, being active and playing sport is, is definitely in him as well. He's he already talks about being a rugby league player when he's older. He wants to be a South player. Don't know why, but um, <laughs> it's the stubborn in him, stubborn the big South fans. But um, you know, whatever he wants to do, that could change, and I'll support him through whatever he wants to do. But yeah, I, I can see that you know he he's already got that love for sport just like I do, and his dad is the same as well. So I'll just keep supporting him. I just. My hopes are just that he's a, a kind and happy human and he just sort of chases his goals in, in whatever in whatever they are. Having kids, they didn't really get to watch me play as any sort of when I had my last game where they sort of remembered that I, I played something. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that's a, that's a cool experience that he gets to sort of 
like experience at an age where he remembers and, and so how proud is he of you like do you ever catch him out sometimes with his mate yeah that's my mum um, <laughs> or anything like that it, it's 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 interesting it, he's sort of getting to the age now where he understands and he he talks to me about it more and I hear him talking to my nephew about it and you know his schoolmates whereas you know in the last couple of years he's sort of just been like well, whatever, but it, it's cool. He's getting to age, he's 10 now. So he, he knows what's going on and yeah, it, it's cool. And and my niece, like my um sister-in-law tells me, you know, that my niece has been searching me up on, on the internet and looking at some of my highlights and stuff like that really is pretty weird, like, but very cool as well and special. And it's nice to be able to um, be that for Carter as well. Cause yeah, he's lucky. His auntie's a superstar as well, Maddie Stadden. She's an amazing player too. So he's got lots of good, you know, female role models that he can look up to and be proud of. So it's nice to know that I can help inspire him to sort of do whatever he wants to do as well. Well, regular listener and regular question sender, Hoover. <laughs> he, he wants to know. Um, Here we go. Carter... <laughs> He wanted to know if Carter decided, well, he, was, he ended up making it in the NBA, would you be okay with him moving to America to play? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually so funny. I think I brought that up with him maybe a month ago. I was like, oh, because he, he goes through phases of sports. It's basketball one day, skating the next. He's the mad surfer at the moment. I remember when I he was fully into his basketball and I was like, what if you had to go to the States one day and... and, and um, play professionally there he's like oh would I have to move away from you and he was like oh could you come and I was like oh no you probably have to go on your own you wouldn't want me to go he's like oh no you have to come yeah. <laughs> so stuff like that it's, it melts my heart that you know he, he feels like that obviously in a couple of years time that would totally change but um I lapped that up at the, at the moment but um oh come on NBA playing in the states that'd be sick I'd be Go, yeah. Cuts. Go. <laughs> 100% I'll be giving up my job too. It's like, I'll be, we're living off you, son. Bloody oath. <laughs> 100%. There you go, Hoover. <laughs> Big yes. Well, might just dive into some of um, the listener questions that have been sent through via Instagram. Plenty of mutual friends here. Some for you, some for your husband, Maddie Baxter. So uh, for those that don't know, me and Waxley, we grew up with Baxter. He was our bring-in from Marylands and used to hang around all of us Patrician Brothers Blacktown boys and he, he ended up just becoming one of us. He's on our group chat for Paddy's, so he's, he's pretty much <laughs> one of us. Um, yeah, there's a few questions here about him as well, but just starting with one from Matt Hardigan. So he was obviously in your, in your line at the wedding. Who is the best coach you have played under and why? Okay. Um... Okay, my, my favourite coach is um, my, he's not my Sharks coach at the moment, but my Sharks coach from the last two years, Glenn Braley. I mean, I've loved all my coaches, but there's just something about him. He's, he's I feel like he got the best out of me in the last um, couple of years. I was going through positional changes and he was, you know, helping me through that. He's very brutally honest. Um, he's a bit of a larrikin, very relatable. So I just think he had a great balance of, you know, professionalism, knowing when to sort of get down to business and, and when to drill into you, but then can have a laugh with you as well. He was a, a great guy and a, and a great coach. Nice. One from the General Burke. How did you bag that dreamy husband of yours? Where did it all start? <laughs> oh, um, Matty Baxter. He was, I think I told this story at the wedding. He probably already, he already knows this. No, he, um, I met Matt um, at Matt Hardigan's birthday actually yeah we just kicked it off um he was a bit of a stage three clinger but it worked <laughs> no he just worked his charm very charismatic and uh, the rest is history nice. <laughs> one in from marlon weber favorite fan moment um well marlon is a good friend of mine and his daughter nick is probably one of my biggest fans she's a little legend she's probably the greatest moment was when after one of my um, Cronulla Sharks games, she rocked up in her Sharks jersey with my name on the back. Um, that was pretty cool. Very cool. Nice. <laughs> one from Kev Toonan, so head of strength at the Sydney Roosters. He wanted to know after spending time with uh, the men's NRL team, how would you change up the way that women teams train? Ooh. If any. 
Oh, it, being a part of the NRL Roosters program was awesome. Um, you know, Trent Robinson, the head coach of the Roosters, is the best of the best. And being able to just, you know, shadow and, and watch how he communicates with players and um, a lot of the off-field things that they do was really cool. It's hard with the girls because we only get a short amount of time together, but if we could do a bit more of that psychological and mindset stuff that he does with the boys, I think that would be awesome. So more off-field psychological stuff, but it's tough with the amount of time. We don't get much time together. We only get a couple hours throughout the week, so it's mainly spent on field. But I think that would be a huge positive towards our team. Just curious, just to go back to that, you said the psychological side of things in terms of performance in the game. Just dive a bit deeper into that. What do you mean by that? Is it in terms of managing pressure? Is it about staying in the moment? Um, what kind of psychological tools? Yeah, he, they did all all different stuff. One session, for example, I don't know how much I can share, but he sort of spoke about, um, you know, it was like a scoreboard sort of session. The score on the scoreboard, your psychological score. Are you winning psychologically on the field? Are you winning physically on the field? And then the actual score. But he focused on sort of the psychological side. So it's just about, you know, breaking the game down, not worrying about the end score, but are you winning this moment of the game psychologically to, you know, progress to the next stage of the game? And, you know, it's all, yeah. He explains it amazingly. I'm not doing it any justice. But, um, yeah, just being able to break the game down and, you know, talking about the importance of, you know, mindset and staying in the game mentally and being positive about each moment of the game, not getting too ahead of yourself, um, I thought was, yeah, really cool. All right, okay, just to touch on that, I reckon professional sport, it's uh, it's moving in a way where, yeah, that, that's a big part of it and some of the things that some coaches are coming up with to be able to prepare their players for any situation under pressure and just see what their um, habits and behaviours will be. I know that Eddie Jones threw all, a lot of stories from players and that, like there'll be times when, um, say during the World Cup, he told the team bus not to show up, but they still had to be at training at nine or whatever the time was. So when the boys got out there, they had to, they go, oh, our team bus isn't here, what are we going to do? So he wanted to figure out who were the leaders and say, you need to find a way um, to get to training still on time, even though there's no team bus. And so, yeah, he'll be having people watch them, seeing what they do, see who reacts in certain different ways. I know there would be times where he would be standing with a stopwatch from the time when the team meeting finishes to the time you get to the training field, how long it takes um, them to get there. And then he would say that, like, look, throughout this day when, I, when the team meeting finished, we spent 15 minutes to try and get ready. We need to cut that down. Uh, get your boots on, get out there. So you'll find, I guess, along the way that, man, so many different coaches will do different things to um, to test you, I guess, yeah. in the back of your mind. Just just be ready for those uh, those things that are a bit out of, out of the blue to know, that, okay, this is probably just some type of challenge that they're, they're waiting yeah. to do. I know that because I didn't handle some of that that well uh, when I got put <laughs> under some pressure. But uh, for anyone listening, just, yeah, coaches play mind games all the time. <laughs> It's always a test. It's always a test. Now, I'm just very curious. It is an area that I um, I have a lot of curiosity and interest in. I guess I'm not from a sport perspective, but just, you know, everyday life. How do you manage certain pressures? And from a sport perspective as well, how do you manage that pressure? And I know that to perform at a high level, you need to be able to perform under pressure because when you are under pressure, they're the moments that matter most um, a lot of the time. And so, yeah, me and Wax, we like to talk about those kinds of things. So I was just curious as to what the tool was that you guys were looking at. Would you like to be a coach? Yes, I have. I do have aspirations. I, it's It would be a very tough gig. At the moment, I, I, re I really enjoy just doing sort of skills coaching and more specifics like speed um, and I do um, speed and agility and just small skills with small groups being a part of you know that environment it's it's intense and would be very challenging but yeah something that I'm definitely interested in and learned a lot from you know my couple of months with them. Cool I just want to ask a question just to touch on the coaching side of things how do the uh, the girls take been delivered some hard messages or that, those firm talks because you know I've, I've spoken a bit about 
uh, some of the coaching sprays that, that happened to me directly and, and to other players. And I have a, a good mate who's the assistant coach at the uh, women's sevens team who said he had to sort of change his approach on how he delivers messages. So how, how do you find it or how did the girls find it? And has there ever been some big ones where it's just like, oh shit, is he taking a bit too far or not? <laughs> It sort of depends on the situation. I think if it's um, they're addressing the group and we deserve it, we want to spray. Like if we've come off half time and we're playing awful, if a coach doesn't spray us, we, I know I and girls talk as well, we like feel like we needed that spray to rev us up. If it's sort of a more one-on-one direct um, chat, I, do, I think the approach does need to be a little bit different. Um, you know, it depends on the level. If you're an elite level, you know, we're sort of used to it and you can sort of accept it and um, take it on as feedback. But yeah, it just sort of depends on, on the environment and sort of what, what standard you're at. There's some girls who are sort of coming through who, for example, my my local team, you've got girls who played at, you know, Jillaroo's level and some of their first game. So some girls will be able to take it better than others. But uh, yeah, as much as it burns me, it, it's going to be a different approach. Um, I wish that we were the same as the boys and they could just drill us and we could just handle it <laughs> and get on with it. Um, but yeah, definitely need to tread a bit lightly um, with girls and just, yeah, have a, have a different approach. Yeah, I'll try and give my wife some feedback here and there, but uh, yeah, it cre- <laughs> creates a lot of friction and uh, yeah, we don't speak for a little bit after that. But I was just trying to be honest. <laughs> so another one from, I guess, some specific NRLW ones. Any ideas on what's happening with the competition? Yeah, yeah. So they've been working through it for um, the last week or two now. Um, we've just we've pretty much just been guaranteed there will be a comp this year, which is number one, the best news. Um, it's just about how it's going to look. So there was talks of us going into a bubble like the men and getting the comp underway ASAP or as planned. Um, and then, you know, other options of maybe pushing the competition back. So I'm hoping in the next, um, early this week, we'll find out um, some more specifics because I know there's a lot of girls that um, have relocated to play in different teams and they're a bit up in the air and they're missing their families and I'm sure if, you know, they're going to be there for longer than intended. So yeah, it, it's it's still a bit in the unknown, but um, there will be a competition, which is the positive. And um, I know the NRL are trying to do all they can to um, work through it. They're trying to deal with the men's comp um obviously which is um which is huge but um they're still yeah ensuring that we have um some footy to play at the end of the year which is great nice an interesting one here um if nz players could play origin would you be for that and do you actually think that they'll be more likely to play for the ferns if they could still play origin that rule the rule that new zealand Bay, new zealand players couldn't play in the origin only came like when the state of origin started so before when it was the interstate challenge Actually, that's a lie. The first year of um, State of Origin, there was some New Zealand girls playing. So the rule came in on this, the second year of the women's State of Origin. I think that they should be allowed to play. There was a handful. I think we had one girl, Nita Maynard, who played with us. And um, Queensland had one or two girls as well. I don't know um, if it would change um, now if if girls you know, would come over to try and play. I, th- I think it would probably be more if you're an Aussie-based New Zealand player, obviously, then you can play in it because you're playing in, you know, the New South Wales and Queensland competitions. You know, you're invested in those competitions all year. So, yeah, why not? I know. I'd, be, I'd love to be seeing all the, you know, Tongan players who, <laughs> who actually can play for Tonga and our Pacific nations actually playing for them. That would be something cool to yeah. hopefully see one day. So. I'm all for whatever needs to happen in that space. Um, career highlight? Um, my career highlight would be the winning the 2017 World Cup with the Jewelries. It was just awesome. We, um, it was a big lead up. I think the, the journey towards it was the best part. I talk about it all the time, but we prepared, you know, two years to two years out. Um, we were starting our Jewelries camps and we were a wider squad. And I think it just, taught me you know to set a goal and to work towards that goal it was a long journey but one well worth it hard to beat that one yeah Um, and one more what are the three most important attributes that young athletes must have um number one i would say is self-belief just yeah backing yourself in all that you do having the confidence that you're good enough 
Two would be hard work. You've got to back that belief up with hard work. And three, probably trust. Um, trust the process. Trust the people around you. And oh, actually, I'd add a fourth and just to have fun. <laughs> and enjoy the process. There's four. <laughs> so what is next for, for you, Corbs? What's coming up? I know the comp, but anything in particular off the field? Um, oh, um, not really. <laughs> um, I'm, Kiana and I, we run our CK Athletic and we've, we've had some, um, you know, plans to, to move forward with that. Obviously, COVID's thrown a bit of a spatter in the works, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm still working full time for the NRL at the moment and trying to, yeah, get our CK Athletic um, growing because we want as many girls, you know, able to, to play rugby league too. And then it's just, yeah, playing hopefully NRLW soon. There's no World Cup at the end of the year, unfortunately. So yeah, just, I guess we'll just enjoy the off season and roll into another year. And family time, always looking for some spare time for family. COVID's been great though, slowing life down, <laughs> having yeah. a lot of quality time with your fam, which has been great, but mi missing missing training and, and playing and my mates for sure. Yeah, in Newcastle, we're not, we're not actually in lockdown. So we're sort of still in the hustle and bustle of life. And yeah. I don't wish it upon us, but sometimes I'm like, oh, I just want to go into lockdown and just enjoy a bit <laughs> downtime with the I family. But in terms of CK, so is it CK Athletic? Or, yep. Yeah. So where, where can people get more information about that when that is going to get up and um, running? Yeah, so they can go on our socials or on Facebook and Instagram, CK Athletic Development. And we're in the process of just finalising. We've got a website coming. So I believe that'll be ckathletic.com.au. Nice. Yeah, so, yeah, there's lots of, there's some info about us on there. And pretty much what we do is run clinics. At the moment, we're, we're just running clinics and holidays for, for girls. Um, so it's like a girls-only girls sort of event um but we're looking to do some more sort of like programs that we run through school terms as well and yeah, just trying to get as many girls um who have goals to um you know excel in whatever sport it is have to be rugby league or, or footy um just yeah training and, and getting amongst that activity awesome well if you ever get up into newcastle i know where i'll be sending eliana for her spring training <laughs> but yeah look as i said right from the start we're very grateful to get you on our humble little podcast here um you've been a great advocate for the game you're a weapon on the field and just an all-around good human and um yeah we're very grateful to have you part of the naked you apparel team and to hear your journey and i think it just highlights your your resilience and all of those four things that you spoke about um for young girls coming through wanting to aspire to that i think you're a living testament to all those things so just want to congratulate you on everything that you're achieving wish you all the best for, for what's coming up and thank you for coming on Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Waxy. Thanks for having no, me. Thanks. I love your guys' work. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Just to add to that, AK, just on behalf of myself, just being and all the dads out there with daughters, thank you guys for being the pioneers of uh, uh, breaking the stereotypes and all that type of stuff out there. So uh, I know my daughter, I don't know if she'll probably play rugby league, but um, it's good that uh, some young girls can aspire to something uh, different than, than the norm. So thank you very much and thanks for being here. Awesome. Thanks, guys.